Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have, broke, uh, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. It is Christmas Eve. We are on the eve of Christmas. That's how you get make a paper longer. So um, you repeat the same thing, just in a different order. Um, and Christmas is nigh. We are we are excited for it. Maybe a little apprehensive as we go to it. Um, there's a lot of feelings and emotions that can be um, held in this one uh, day, either both Christmas Eve or Christmas Day as well. I'm sure we have a lot of traditions um, that we are looking forward to, as well as probably some. Uh, uh, trepidation as we look forward to the time that we will be spending with family or traveling or whatever it may be ahead of us. Israel, in our passage here, uh, was in exile. Judah had evil kings. They were in anguish. They were weighted down by corrupt rulers, uh, their own, whether it was Judah's king or from another kingdom. And they needed hope. They needed peace. They needed a prince to come. They needed this because of the oppression that they were experiencing. Fleming Rutledge has a quote that's just been floating around for me this Advent season. She writes, Advent begins in the dark. I think it begins in the dark because it begins in our longing, in our hoping, and in our yearning for more. But while Advent begins in the dark, it doesn't stay there. It promises, to be, it promises begin to break through to illumine our path, our way from Advent, from our expectations and our hopes, to Christmas. And so we begin to see light at the end of the tunnel. Our passage shows this. It begins with the promise of peace, and it concludes with the Prince of Peace. The promise of peace is in verses 2 through 5. I will read those again for us. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff of for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. 
for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Look at the language here. We have darkness to light. We have a nation being multiplied. We have spoil being divided. We have harvest being brought in. We have a yoke and a burden being removed. We have a rod and a staff being broken. Bloodied garments and battle-worn boots are all being burned. This is the promise of peace, of burdens being lifted, of hope being able to come. This is the imagery of a war ending and a battle won. And these things being put behind them. Finally, light is coming through into this people's dark lives. They have the ability to see and experience life beyond their circumstances. The author Isaiah references the day of Midian. This is a reference to uh, Gideon who uh, battled the Midianites in Judges uh, 6 through 8. Gideon took uh, a mere 300 men with him to fight over 10,000 Midianites and won, it says, because God, Yahweh, is with us. This is the mere promise of peace that they hold on to. And it comes and it, (coughs) excuse me, and the result of that is that their joy increases, that they have joy as, as when they bring in the harvest. Joy is one of the primary emotions of Advent and the Christmas season. It can be a great joy to give and receive presents, to see family, to have time off from work, to have time off from school. But sometimes the pressures of life, the darkness the battle of life rages on through the season of joy, not taking stop, not stopping to take note. We fall under the pressure of life that continually comes, and we have mixed emotions, mixed experiences. But joy isn't just primarily an emotion. It's a key theme in the promise of peace. It's an attitude that people adopt despite their circumstances because of God's presence with them. The Israel, uh, Isaiah's people, Israel and Judah, their joy was not determined by their struggle and what they were currently facing, but by their future destiny. Joy is something that, cannot, that can be chosen despite the challenges we are facing in our lives. It's not ignoring or suppressing our sorrow. It's not um, sticking our head in the sand or being Pollyanna about the circumstances that we are facing, but believing that because of God's redemptive work, because of his presence in our lives, sorrow does not have the last word. Joy does, precisely because of God's spirit and presence with you. You know, so much of our Christmas and Advent focus uh, is often on Christ's first coming, right? We look back, we remember to see the joy despite the circumstances. We look at a baby being born, born in a manger, a census being taken, and really all sorts of uh, calamities surrounding them, but they had joy. We look back and we remember so that we can look forward again, it is for our expectation that Christ will come and that he promises to come again. We lift our eyes up out of our daily life that is filled with so much and yet lacks the true promise of peace in our lives. And we cast our eyes on the true promise of God once again in the person of Jesus Christ. 
this promise of Christ's return again is that is what allows us to choose joy despite our circumstances. How do we do that? I think it's pretty simple. I think we feast. I think we have a great meal. I think we pull out the good stuff. We don't hold back. We don't count calories. We add a little extra butter and a little more cream because feasting brings joy. Uh, Alexander Schmemann is a um, Greek Orthodox uh, priest uh, who uh, passed away about uh, 40 years ago or so, but he says this, a feast is not a simple break in the otherwise meaningless and hard life of work, but a justification of that work. It's fruit. It's, so to speak, sacramental transformation into joy and therefore into freedom. Feasting is a way in which we imbue meaning into this animal rhythm of work and rest, of school, of uh, pressures of life. Christians believe that joy has something to do with the serious problems of life, that despite our circumstances, we have something to celebrate, light and the darkness, the rod of the oppressor being broken, peace coming into our lives. So cast off your asceticism, throw away uh, your uh, uh, belts, uh, loosen them up, wear your uh, elastic waistbanded pants, and show all those near and dear to you how you embody joy through the feast that God has promised you. Eat the cookies, have seconds, open the good bottle, buy the roast, as the meme I saw this week said, I just don't want to look back and think, I could have eaten that, right? Enjoy the fruit of your labor. Rejoice in what God has given you because peace is coming. See, peace doesn't just come on its own. There has to be an agent of peace. And here we see in verses 6 and 7, the agent of peace is a prince of peace, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Peace comes in a person. Peace comes as a child, a son, who will sit on the throne of David, who will reign with peace and justice and righteousness. This peace will have no bounds. It will have no end. It will extend on into eternity. The rod that oppressed the people, back in verse 4, is now the government that is placed on this child's shoulders. He bears its weight and does so righteously justice, peace, bringing joy to all those in his kingdom. This child is given four names in verse 6. He's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor is uh, literally translated as Wonder Planner. The way he is able to plan brings wonder to people's uh, imaginations and to their hearts. It echoes Isaiah's emphasis on, on Yahweh as the one who effectively designs and implements a purpose and brings it to fruition. 
Mighty God is a description for Yahweh himself. A little later in chapter 10, the Lord is going out to battle as a champion. The battle has already been won. We have victory in him. He is our everlasting Father, this reminds the readers of how the book of Isaiah opened, that God calls his people his children because he loves them and he cares for them. This is an extravagant description of a king's relationship with his people. And finally, he's called the Prince of Peace. He is an army commander who brings about peace. The Hebrew word is shalom. He brings uh, an end to war making and brings growth blessing, joy, and fairness. Shalom, we talked about a few uh, weeks ago or maybe maybe even like a month ago now, but shalom is a Hebrew word for peace. And while it begins to bring the imagery of the absence of war, it also points to something that's much better in its place. Its basic meaning is complete or wholeness, like if a stone has no cracks in it or a, a stone wall that is fully complete and been put together, Holy, like fully, completely. Shalom refers to something that is complex with a lot of pieces in it that actually has a state of completeness. This is very particular when you ask, uh, when, when we refer to someone's well-being. Someone in, the, in Hebrew in the Old uh, Testament days, you would ask someone, how's your shalom? How are you doing? How are you complete? Are you whole? Are you experiencing the fullness of life? Shalom understands that life is a moving puzzle and things get out of order, whether it's health, relationships, or situations. When something is missing, your shalom breaks down and your life needs to be restored. To bring shalom is to make something complete, to repair the relationship, to right your wrongs. Moreover, when rival peoples find shalom, it doesn't just mean that they stop fighting with one another. It means that they start working with one another and sharing for each other's benefit. But shalom is not merely a concept. Shalom here is a person. The only way for us to receive peace is to admit that we are in need of peace. Someone outside of ourselves needs to bring peace into our lives to give it And not just a prince of peace, we need the prince of peace. We need someone with the power, the authority, the glory, the majesty, the weight of the government. Someone who can come into our lives and give us peace. There's a lot of debate about who Isaiah is referring to here in this chapter. King Hezekiah would have come to mind for the original hearers, a Jewish translator and scholar, um, Hebrew scholar Robert Alter, uh, takes issues with Christians using this as a messianic text for Jesus. But he even admits that the name Mighty God is just a really hard one to reconcile with any mere human. Our favorite Christmas story is a Charlie Brown Christmas. You guys have seen this, I assume and expect. I love Vince Guaraldi's jazz soundtrack to it. The kids love the humor and Snoopy's antics. Michael, when I asked him what he likes about it, is the ideal oldest child. He says, I like it when Linus recites the Bible verse about Christmas. And I was like, yes, okay, good. If you remember, Charlie Brown is having a hard time finding joy at Christmas, finding peace. And in a moment of desperation, he remarks to his friend Linus, Everything I do turns into a disaster. 
I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. And then he calls out into the room. Is there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And Linus says, sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And he walks to the center of the stage. He says, lights, please. And he recites Luke 2, 8 through 14. And there were, in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch of their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto, unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of he- the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. In this passage that Linus reads, we have all the signs that we were told to look for in Jesus in from Isaiah 9. A child born who brings light and darkness, one who brings tidings of great joy, who ushers in peace, who displays the glory of God himself, who restores the throne of David, who is the long-awaited Messiah, the one who reveals Yahweh, the Lord God himself. And all the hosts, the armies of heaven, the angels suddenly appear, singing (coughs) the long-awaited promises of God. The only one who brings true joy and true peace is the person of Jesus Christ. The Prince of Peace is Jesus. What would it mean for you to bring peace this Christmas? To extend the peace that you have received to your loved ones, to your overbearing parents, to your weird aunt and uncle, to your spouse, to your husband, to your kids. So many times conversations at the holidays can be fraught with pitfalls and disaster. Be someone who brings peace. Like me, it might mean keeping your mouth shut a little bit more. It might mean speaking grace into a conversation. Thank you, that was a joke. But it's also true for me. So... It might mean uh, helping out with the kids a little bit more or the chores of the feast or asking what could be done at this moment. It could mean apologizing when we wrong one another. It could mean a lot of things. What would it mean for you? The only way we can do this is by grabbing hold of the peace that we have in the Prince of Peace, Jesus you know, if you remember, Linus is known for carrying around a certain item. Does anybody remember what that is? You guys know what Linus carries around? Yeah, a blanket. Yeah. This is his, he's always holding it. It's always his comfort. He uses it to allay his fears. One of the many missed details in the scene of Linus reciting the passage of Scripture is that he does so with the blanket on the ground. He stands with the spotlight on him, the center of attention, taking hold of the promise of deep joy and everlasting peace that comes from the Prince of Peace himself as his comfort rather than his blanket. May we hold fast to Jesus this Christmas 
as our Prince of Peace. May we feast on the joy that he brings and live into the peace that can only be found in him. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, we thank you for this time to pause, to remember you, to remember the feast that you are bringing, the joy that you long for and desire in our lives, that you bring light into darkness. Lord, we thank you for um, the offering of your grace, the offering of your peace, the offering of yourself. Help us to remember that you are the God who is with us in the person of Jesus Christ, but also in your spirit, that in you the spirit dwells within us and that you have given us life in him. May we be ones who sow joy and sow peace in the lives of those around us. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.